Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome back to the Roper Report Extra podcast. Just like my uh, dulcet tones and my face made for radio, it's like something that never actually went away last weekend and we stumbled onto a 1-1 draw at home to Oxford United. As it is, we're only one game into the season and already we've got a huge promotion clash, or hopefully promotion clash, this weekend at Portman Road. We'll hopefully be able to give Ripswich the welcome to League One treatment as we've received so often last year. And this week we've got an extra debutant, we've got Blue Monday contributor Joe. How are you doing, Joe? You well? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. So, I'll start straight away with, obviously, the weekend results. We'll not speak about ours, but we'll speak about yours. Um, a thoroughly impressive 1-0 win over, I would say, promotion of Hopeful's Burton. How was your opening day performance? It was good. It was, um, it'd been a bit stop-start through pre-season, and as we've had over the last three or four years, we've just got an injury list longer than your arm. So it was a bit of a worry going into the game. And when the, when the fixture list came out and we saw sort of Burton first game, Sunderland second game, Peterborough third game, there was a worry we were going to drop into League One, start poorly, and then all of a sudden the fans were on the back. But no, it's a, a really a really good win. Deserved. They, they had a shot cleared off the line in injury time, but that would have, I think it would have been unjust had we dropped any points on Saturday. We, we seemed to play some good counter-attacking football. So... Was it more you were on the defensive on Saturday and kind of hit them on the break then, as opposed to going, oh, you know, hell for leather? We weren't really on the defensive, but we just sort of sat back in and tried to hit them on the break. Um, we went two up front, where generally under Lambert, we tended to go one up front, but I think we just sort of went with a real flat 4 4 2, two sort of strikers that will put their guys under pressure, try and win the ball and try and attack quickly when we did win it back. And then, but. The game opened up a little bit just after half time. We changed shape and that just sort of killed the game off, really. So it was sort of quite positive to show a bit of flexibility. And after last season being so poor, to actually see out a win is sort of a, a big deal. And you mentioned about pre season as well. And I mean, obviously, we're only one game into the season. So we can still maybe read a little bit into pre season. And it, was, it wasn't a bad pre season, it was a bit stop start. But Paderborn 3 2, Colchester 5 0, Notts County 1 1. Cambridge nil nil. So you did you only have four preseason games? Well, there was there was also a tournament in Germany, but there was a sort of two forty five minute games against Fortuna Dusseldorf and a third division German team out there, which we lost to 
Bundesliga Dusseldorf and drew with the other team losing on penalties. So it's effectively one extra game on top of that and sort of like a 10 or 11 day camp out in Germany. See, we had, we had come out for a week in Portugal, four official preseason games and one behind closed doors ones. And I, and I felt that was not quite enough, but did, did your boys look quite fit on Saturday? Did it look like they were in shape? Yeah, they did. They looked, we looked a lot quicker this season. Like, over the last couple of years, we, we we haven't really been a quick side, but we we seems to have sort of found an extra gear, and and the way we've set up is all about pace as opposed to sort of being a bit more of a slow, cumbersome side, which has tended to be the case, especially under sort of Mick McCarthy. We were set up like that. Now I was sort of looking through your transfers that you brought in pre-season. Now there's there's two that really, really, really stick out. The obvious ones are Thomas Hawley, who we know a little bit about because he's absolutely huge. Um, and then you've got James Norwood, obviously, who, even though he sort of came from League Two, he's, he's been scoring goals for sort of weeks, uh, sorry, for years across like the, the lower levels. And he certainly looked like he could step up to this level. And, you know, so far, so far, I suppose, so good in a sense in terms of his preseason. But I noticed you also brought in Luke Garber, who's a great signing. Um, how has. I know it's hard to judge after one game, but how have you made your, your transfer window? Has it been good? Do you think you need to add more? Um, I, th- I think we're still probably a couple of bodies away from where we need to be. because we've, we've got a good squad and it's quite a big squad in certain areas, but it's a little bit unbalanced. We sort of right up until the day before the um, season started, we picked up a centre-back on a short-term deal who went straight into the starting lineup on on Saturday because we our, Luke Chambers was suspended and our other senior centre-half is injured in pre-season. So it was a case of there. But when you look at what the sort of central midfielders we've got on the books, you're sort of looking at the summer, summer injured, as they always are, but like Teddy Bishop, Emir Hughes, Andre Dezel, Flynn Downs, Cole Skews, John Nolan, Alan Judge. We've probably got eight eight central midfielders, of which we'd, six or seven of them would get into most teams in the league. But we're short up front. We've only really got James Norwood and Caden Jackson and when we started two up front on Saturday, then there's, there's no one to come on for either of them. So it, you needed the change of shape, and we're short at sort of fullback, really. But I think I think that the squad is the squad is good enough if this is what we have. But for our first season down, I think a lot of Ipswich fans are hoping the owner does just loosen the purse strings a little bit because this is obviously our best chance to get back up in that first year. So we seem with just a couple a couple away from it, and we really need that little extra push. You mentioned about it being the best chance for you to get straight back up. And I think Ipswich, I've tipped Ipswich to win the league for the record. But yeah, and you must look at Sunderland in a way because we're, we're both our clubs that are not used to being down here. Um, and you must have seen how our season went last year and those expectations as well. And watching how we failed last year, does that ultimately give you an idea that you know you have to come back first time or you because we I'm starting to feel like we might get bogged down here but it's maybe I'm just being pessimistic no I, I, I agree with you on that one I, I obviously don't know as much about Sunderland as I do Ipswich but we we've a, we were a side of a small budget in the in the championship and our owner was sort of willing to put in five six million pound a year which is obviously a huge amount of money in any normal terms but in championship football terms it just isn't really enough to do anything where I could just see that if we stay down here to if we if we don't go up in the first two years, we will just become a League One side hoping to get into the championship as a, as opposed to a championship side that's dropped into League One. And we've, we we were in the championship for 17 years. We <laughs> that was our 
that was our league effectively, but the league just has grown away from us and any time out of it is going to get further and further away from us. Who do you think your biggest challenges are this season in terms of getting promotion? Um, probably Portsmouth and Sunderland. When you yeah. when you look at the um, league last year, there was almost five teams that sort of four or five teams ended up with sort of around the 90 point mark, which is a huge amount of points in any league and probably enough to go up in most leagues, but obviously only sort of Charlton and the automatic two went up where sort of Sunderland and Portsmouth, Portsmouth especially seem to have added to their squad quite well. I know they've lost Matt Clark and Jamal Lowe, but they seem to have replaced them and, and sort of made their squad a little bit more balanced with it. So they look, they look a really strong setup. Our, our sort of best hope is that either Portsmouth and Sunderland start badly and the pressure increases on the managers for not getting up last year. And maybe that sort of messes their seasons up. Yeah, most definitely. I think um, when you look at us, we, in my opinion, started poorly on on Saturday. But last year, we actually started quite well. Um, it was it was sort of the December time where we, where we lost our our foot in a bit. And what, one thing I suppose I did really want to ask because I, I I don't know enough about it in my in my honest opinion. Um, there seemed before the season started to be a little bit of should we say discontent between the owners and Paul Lambert um, to those who've got like no idea of the relationship between sort of the fans, your current chairman and your current manager. Could you give us like a little rundown on their relationship and, and how things are kind of going currently? It's, it's hard to tell really because sort of Lambert came sort of to give the full background into the situation. You sort of need to go back a couple of years when Mick McCarthy was the manager. He'd come in, sort of done brilliantly on no budget and then his the fans became a bit tired of his style he'd he'd argue he was still overperforming on the budget and he probably was but he couldn't really take any of the criticism very well which meant that he just sort of went back and forth with the fans and ended up like the most divisive manager in our history that it was literally a case of anyone but Mick was required for the fan base to try and solve it we brought in Paul Hurst after we were heavily linked with Jack Ross and I think so that he obviously went yeah. to you guys you, you jumped in a stolen march on us in that move and we had Paul Hurst who was here for 15 games and seemed to take a wrecking ball to the club and Paul Lambert came in and has instantly galvanized the fans and has sort of really spoke about the community and the club and the stadium and brought back a lot of legends into play so the fans are sort of mega happy with Lambert on that side but then he didn't back that up with results on the pitch we only won five games all season last year he came in after 16 games in charge of 30 games and won four of them in, and we ended up finishing below Bolton who you know you can see all the problems they've got there but he is he is very popular with the fan base for his act, sort of his antics but he does need to pick results up on the pitch Evans the owner is it's almost a case of better the devil you know with him. We know he's relatively stable, but we also know that he, he can't afford or isn't willing or able to put in the sort of required money to compete where most fans think the club should be, which is towards the top of the second tier. And they're just sort of the press conference before the game against Burton on Saturday, Lambert almost sort of threw the gauntlet down to Evan saying the squad we've got isn't good enough. We've only brought in two players any of the um, extra monies we've received in the summer, he hasn't seen any of it. We'd sold Ellis Harrison, but that money had all gone straight across to Bristol Rovers, which 
presumably is we hadn't we owed them installments on the transfers and we've we've had sell on big sell on fees for Adam Webster, Matt Clark, Tyrone Mings and Kiefer Moore yesterday. So we've probably had three or four million of sell on fees, but nothing has been invested back into the team and I think Lambert sort of called Evans out on that, but then he's sort of st- stood back from that, those comments this week. And I do think they have a good relationship, but Lambert does seem to be one of those people that will, I'd, it wouldn't surprise if he walked away at some point, if things weren't going how he wanted them to, because he, he does seem to have that fiery temperament. And it's a funny one with Lambert, because I can only see from the outside looking in, and I, we're talking 10 years ago now, maybe, but I, I used to live with a Norwich fan when Lambert was manager there. Um, and I suppose Paul Hurst, and you mentioned Jack Ross before, Jack Ross and Paul Hurst were sort of the names on, on my mind. And Nathan Jones at the time when we got bought over last year, young up-and-coming manager. And I think realistically, that's what every club kind of wants in an ideal utopian world. Um, and you don't want the likes of, like, um, dare I say it, Steve Bruce and, and Paul Lambert and managers who seem to have been a bit sort of good good in the past but not great but you you didn't just have Paul Lambert coming in as kind of someone who'd had a bad few seasons at a few clubs he's also formerly of of Norwich as well so was he originally um given sort of short shrift or was it a case of he he was always given a chance from the beginning he yeah he was given a chance from the beginning it's strange I think his time at Norwich is sort of what put them back on the map almost because they were in yeah. sort of dire straits in League One, a double promotion. And whilst they've been yo-yoing a bit between the top two tiers since then, without without that there, he, they haven't really looked back from it. But I think Ipswich fans were so desperate for change after Hurst, it was just clearly the wrong decision. And there wasn't, re- there wasn't really a chance to sort of moan about the decision because it was literally a case of Hurst was sacked in the morning and Lambert was broken... I think it might have even been broken at the same time by either the Sun or the Mirror. Lambert is replacing Hurst. There was no um, sort of period where fans had the right to have their say. It was almost a case of this is it. You just need to effectively get on with it. And he came in and, as I was saying on sort of previously, made such an effort with sort of club legends saying what a great club this is. I think it helps. He ended on bad terms with Norwich and ended up suing them for a couple of million pounds. But (laughs) when he walked out of there, but it's, he he hasn't really felt any of the anti sort of anti Norwich stuff that hasn't held him back at all, which is a bit of a surprise, but is ultimately a positive thing for the club. And, and I wasn't going to ask, but I suppose I will. Um, Paul Hurst, incredibly highly rated, did a fantastic job at Shrewsbury. Um, they looked terrible last season until Ricketts came in, so obviously they felt the loss of him as well. So what what went wrong with Paul Hurst and, and Ipswich? where to start it, um I, I, I don't think he was sort of given any favors by marcus evans with the appointment basically mick mccarthy announced he was leaving effectively i think it was like just before the easter weekend he managed a few more games and then he left paul hurst was in charge of shrewsbury who were balloting out for the top two at the time but the problem is they didn't get into the top two they got into the playoffs and then they got into the playoff final so from having a vacancy on april the sort of 10th it ended up, we didn't appoint Hurst till after the playoff final. So we're into June at this point. He then has a week's holiday before the appointment is final. He then had a LMA course for another week. So he effectively wasn't really appointed till the middle of June. And, it's, and it wasn't the longest time to come into the season. There was a player sale made above him of Adam Webster. And then 
as the preseason went on, I, I don't think he he was expecting to have much money to spend. And once once we sold Adam Webster and it, it freed up some money that he could spend a million pound here or six hundred thousand there, I think that the sort of lights in his eyes went up, and he then almost sort of pushed Martin Waghorn out the door, who Derby were interested in, just to get the money because that would allow him to bring in John Nolan and Toto Entiala from Shrewsbury. But we ended up spending more money than we had in a long time, but buying players with no experience in the championship. They were all from League One and League Two, and it ended up with sort of six or seven players from those leagues. And when the season started, you could just tell we were short on quality straight away. He also sort of came in with an attitude against the senior players of everyone's got to earn their position back in the team, which sometimes is admirable. But, but when there was, we had two players out away at the World Cup who had sort of had good seasons for us and they were almost told they need to come back and win win their place back. And it's in the Polish press this week, our former keeper, Bielkowski, has come out and said he had it in for the senior players. Whenever a senior player put in a poor performance, he was calling them cash registers and saying that they were sort of just there for the money. And I think, I don't know, it just seemed there was a, he he came to shake it in like we were a non-league club or a league one club where everyone's on a one-year contract and you can, you can just come in and rip it up and there's no real consequences to it. But when you've got a goalie who's on a three-year contract earning 16, 17 grand a week, you can't just bomb them out because it, it just kills the situation. And he ended up just falling out with, too many people, I think, and he he just got away from what had, what had sort of served him so well at at Shrewsbury by just chopping and changing tactics every week. Where I'd watched Shrewsbury a few times a year before, and they you knew exactly how they, how they were going to play, but I think he just sort of lost his bottle and just chased around for throwing enough mud at the wall to see if anything stick. It's funny the more I'm like sort of listening to what you're saying about last season and how it sort of went. I don't know whether you had a chance to watch it, but did you catch much of um, our documentary series? Yeah, yeah, I watched all of that on Netflix, and it was it was a tough watch for us because you could just see this is how we are at the moment, and yeah, it, there, there just seemed so many similarities between the clubs because we were sort of going through it at the time when I was watching it, and just you sort of had Coleman come in as sort of the Lambert figure who could sort of get everyone back on side, but just couldn't get the results. But we were a, a long way off it, and you could just see the different divides in the club and sort of Darren Gibson going out and <laughs> saying, what he, <laughs> saying what he was saying. And it just seemed after we'd been such a close-knit club for a, for a long time under Mick McCarthy, whatever people say about him, he does in, engender a good team spirit, a good squad. But sort of it just went from one extreme to the other. I was going to say how how much of a reflection because obviously I, I speak to um, I speak to Ben who's obviously writes for um, or, or does the podcast with um, yourself as well and I felt like he messaged me at one point and I think it was at Christmas time he said look what, what's League One like and I thought oh god they must be going through something and I looked and I thought you know I thought, I'm sure you were near the bottom and but you were like rock bottom at the time I thought bloody hell they're, they're actually quite far adrift and I thought. Just that when I was thinking of you know things to ask today on on the extra, I was thinking how much of a reflection must it be watching something like that day as an Ipswich fan last season because it's almost identical, isn't it? Two well known at the very least big championship clubs at, at the very least, both clubs that have had recent Premiership history with a change of manager in between, 
the manager that came in at first was meant to be the fresh person that would get them level and steady and things like that. Then you bring in the experienced manager that no one is quite sure if they want, who everyone kind of gets on with and likes, but can't get the results. You plumb out the league. Um, bit of an issue with the chairman, maybe not as big as we had with ours. And obviously we've been taken over, but there must have been such a, a reflection on your season last season, watching that back. It must have been a bit like Groundhog Day for you. Yeah. And on, on the message boards, anyone that would talk about the documentary on the message boards, it was like, yeah, this is this is our club. This is what's this is what's happening to us. The the players coming in and out, just bad luck after bad luck. Every time you think you're getting somewhere, your player does well and he picks up a little injury, and then the next thing you know, he's out for six months. And just know, and everything that could go wrong does go wrong. And ultimately, the, the only thing, the only difference was we didn't get close to staying up. We we, we were miles and miles off it. Where you sort of took it right to the wire, but well, ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the documentary made it look closer than it did, but uh, no, ish. I think we went and we went in late April, whereas you went. I think you went. It was pretty obvious you were going early from about October, December yeah. time. Well, we um, lost. We played Millwall on New Year's Day. We'd thrown away sort of a two-goal lead previous against Bristol City at home, and New Year's Day, Millwall, who were sort of like six points ahead of us or seven points ahead of us, and we were two 0 up and managed to lose three-two. And it's like that is. That was the actual killer blow for everyone. There's always a, a game, isn't there, in the season where you just go, right, that's it. And it's, it depends on how early it comes. Um, I think I've been there a few times <laughs> in New Year's days, kind of defeats when you think, right, second half of the season, have a good second half of the season. Then you get beat and it's a it's a demoralising defeat and you think, no, that's it. I, I just pack it up. Um, <laughs> and it's even worse when the players are like that. But one, one thing I did want to ask, and now... Now, I'm a huge, huge, huge Mick McCarthy fan, not just because I liked him when he was here at Sunderland, despite kind of the way he went. Um, I just love the man himself. I think he's one of the most brilliant men of my generation and our generation ever. Um, years of uncertainty you had with him, though, where it just felt like he couldn't take it any further. Ipswich fans didn't seem to like it. There was the famous kind of F off, F off moment during Norwich. But when you got relegated did it feel a little bit like those fans that didn't want Mick McCarthy had egg on their faces? Yes and no. To an ex- to an extent, it, it was because he was effectively the, the relationship became toxic and he was effectively forced out. But even even Mick's biggest fans at the, at, in the fan base would say he had to go by that point because I think he could always inge- engender a big them against us sort of culture at the club. But the problem was the fans became the them and he was almost at war with the fan base for the, for the last year of, of his reign. And we'd, we'd basically, cause we'd, we'd finished sixth, which was a massive overachievement. Then we'd finished seventh. And then the following year, we'd had a down year and sort of down the bottom half of the table. And I think a lot of fans wanted him to go at that point, but he was, it was the right thing to do probably to, to keep him. And I think, I think he thought that as long as we win games, then it will be forgotten about. And we won the first four games of the season. And then we lost 2 0 at home to sort of Fulham, who were one of the better teams in the league. And the atmosphere, the toxic atmosphere was back straight away. And it's like, this is this is dead here. If if we can win four games in a row, be top of the league, and then lose to one of the best teams in the league who are gonna go up that season and the fans still go for him, then there's there's no hope. There's no hope left here for him. And so it's a it's it was a real shame, but it's it's a shame that he couldn't he couldn't rise above it. And I appreciate he was the one getting the abuse, but 
there's sort of one game we played Burton last week, but last time we played Burton, we had a guy on loan from Man City. The fans were calling for him to come on. He subsequently comes on, scores a winning goal with five minutes left. McCarthy's reaction is the more they fans call for someone to come on, the less likely I am to bring them on. I didn't bring them on because they wanted them to. I brought them on there. I'll leave them on the bench next time. And then you'd win a game at home to Forest, and it's like, I still remember Mick McCarthy, your football this year. I still remember this. And it's just like, oh, come on, Mick, get over it. Like, we're not going to move on with you here. But in the end, it became a bit like the Brexit debate. Once everyone was in the camp, there was no there was no coming out of it. Mick could not win. And it's a shame because he did he did a lot of good for the club, but he'll, his, his legacy will be that he was the most divisive manager in our history. What do you make of his? I mean, obviously, as a non-Ipswich fan, it's quite funny hearing some of the things that he says, like the comment that our oh, Ipswich felt like doing that when he talked about replacing managers, and he said, and he, he paused and said, and that went well. That was funny as a, a non-Ipswich fan, but how does the Ipswich fan base take on those sort of? And they, they are they are kind of like narky comments, aren't they? Really, they are kind of like that they're meant to be funny to some other people and it is very Mick McCarthy. But if that if if that's your team and he's kind of rubbing it in that you've just been relegated, I mean how does does that just make it worse? Well the the, the fans that hated Mick and wanted him to go still hate him and get wound up by everything he does. The other fans who were probably more on the fence and sort of more supportive of him I, I just get knocked off by them, I'd say. They just find it frustrating. It it was I think the the issue came is that even sort of the most level-headed Ipswich fan who thought it was probably time for Mick to go became frustrated by the sort of the last few months of his reign where he was very much in Mick McCarthy PR mode and it was a case of getting his message out to all his friends in the press and you couldn't read any analysis on Ipswich without it being be careful what you wish for they wanted Mick to go and now they're getting relegated and they were wrong to do it where I'm sure 90% of Ipswich fans would say actually it was still the right decision just because it went wrong afterwards doesn't mean it was a wrong thing to do we've got 13,000 season tickets sold for this season there'll be over 20,000 there on Saturday if if I think the season tickets dropped about 10 under McCarthy and had he stayed on another season I reckon that would probably dropped about 8,000 season tickets it was it was that that the whole town was disengaged with the club it was it, it it needed to happen, and it, like I say it's it's just frustrating that Mick continues to be able to set the agenda of of his exit. Not that he wasn't wanted here anymore, and he left. It was all I was driven out by the fans when he drove himself out to a large extent. So on to more kind of recent times. I'm looking at your side from the one 0 win on Saturday. Now it's a four four two, as far as I can see. You've got Thomas Holy in goal, a back four of Donacy and Wolfenden uh, Wilson, who's a recent signing, I think. Ken Lock. Then your midfield is Rowe, Scusa, Downs and Garbutt with Norwood and Caden Jackson up front. So are you expecting another 4-4-2? Is it normally a 4-4-2? You mentioned about one up front before. Do you think you'll change things up for Saturday? It's it's normally a four two three one. That is that is what Lambert's sort of bread and butter is, and that's what he tends to go back to. And I'd imagine that's that's what we'll play on Saturday. That, that I'd, I'd I'd be surprised if we go with two up front again. And it's it's likely to be Holy in goal still, Danassian right back, Luke Chambers our captain will come back in for James Wilson to play alongside Luke Wolfenden with Ken Locke at left back, 
I think we'll try and fit. It will probably still be scooting downs in the middle, but Caden Jackson will come out of the team for Alan Judge, would be my guess, who coming in and play as a number 10. He, he came on last week and made a big difference straight away, but he'd missed the majority of pre-season with a broken wrist, suffered on international duty, sort of in the summer international. So he's fit, but not match fit, if that makes sense. He hasn't, yeah. hasn't stopped doing all his running because he's just had a wrist on, but he hasn't, hadn't been able to do a lot of contact stuff. But he came on for our last pre-season friendly for the second half at Notts County and just sort of ran the show for 45 minutes. And I think somebody pulled up a stat that he only played the last half hour on Saturday and had more touches than sort of nine of the 11 starters because he just gets on the ball and makes things happen. He'd been heavily linked with QPR over the summer, but that that seems to have gone dead now. And he'll, he'll be a huge player for us this season. So if there is, say, a change in formation, um, or even if there's not, where would you say Ipswich weak spots are? Where are your sort of your, your weak points? And which Sunderland players do you worry will exploit them? Fullback really is our is our biggest weakness. Um, we've got sort of two right backs that the manager doesn't seem to really rate in Danashian and Josh Emmanuel. Danashian got the nod on Saturday. He's he's defensively solid, but he gets a nosebleed when he gets up the pitch on the ball. <laughs> where where on the other flank, Kenlock is good going forward, but isn't the best defender. He gets caught out of position too often. He sort of gives away a lot of silly fouls and free kicks, but so I guess any of your wingers will be causing us problems, but I don't know how Sunderland set up. I didn't watch the Oxford game, but we went with a three-five-two. Um, that may change to a three-four-three, but he's most likely if if your left back is your your biggest weakness. If Kenlock is a is a problem in terms of defensively, you'd probably find he's, the right wing back will be Lyndon Gooch, who is very much about pace and dribbling and he had a good game on Saturday. He won our penalty and he scored our penalty. Um, he has a tendency to kind of do about a million step overs, but he will be about pace and power. Is that something that could damage him, do you think? Yeah, because he's, like I say, he's, he's just not the best defender. He gets, he's more of a wing back playing fullback, if that makes sense. So he's, yeah. his position is bad and he just, like it must, he must have given away five free kicks in dangerous positions against Burton, where he just isn't smart enough with sort of little nudges and pulls and stuff, and he gets penalised for it. Where sort of you see the sort of wily pros, and they're, they're able to to get away with things, where he just he just doesn't seem to have the brain to get away with things. You mentioned as well about um, Caden Jackson will will likely come out, but. Caden Jackson was a player I know we were looking at last year. We're talking so the the mid, I think it was January time we were we were looking at him. And I noticed he didn't do very well, but he did well at Accrington. But I noticed in pre-season he was banging them back in again. Yeah, no, he had a re- he had a really good pre-season. But the issue is he scored a couple of goals at Colchester when we went two up front, but most of his goals we were playing one up front, and James Norwood is the he was scoring more goals in his one half of football than Caden Jackson was in his one half. But I think Jackson will be a good player, but he, he's, he struggles to play in that sort of in that one up front on his own because a lot of his, he's, I don't know if you've seen much of him, but he's just unbelievably fast. Yeah. And he's, he might not have the best sort of footballing brain, but what he, what he likes to do is he, he runs the channels and gets in. But when you're playing one up front, you don't have, you then don't have anyone in the box for his crosses or, 
getting there. So he, he works well with James Norwood in that respect. But I, I think we'll we'll save the two up front maybe for games where we're expecting to play against sides who maybe aren't going to come out and attack us as much and they're going to sit back where I, c- I can't imagine Sunderland, there's, there's going to be the big enough gap in quality for you to just come and sit and try and play for a point. I f- I'd imagine you'll try and sort of get at us, which will necessitate us just playing the one up front. Potentially, you'd be looking at a 1-1. We love a 1-1. Or Jack Ross yeah. loves a 1-1. We don't love a 1-1 for what it's worth, but we've got a very good at drawing games, so you never know. Um, now, I'm, I'm 33 next month, and historically, Portman Road has been absolutely shite every time I've went, and I hate it. It's a horrible hunting ground. Um, in my memory, off the top of my head, we've obviously lost most recently 5-2. I remember a 5-0 defeat uh, back in about 2000, 2001, and I also I also recall you beating us in 1998, which condemned us to the playoffs. And my dad came in very drunk and decided to launch the whole loaf of bread at the TV, um, which at that point was a it wasn't one of those flat screen ones either. So I could withstand it, but I don't have good memories of Ipswich away. So I wanted to ask, what's the worst and slash best memory you've had of facing someone? Um, well. Like like you don't have much luck at Portman Road. I can't say we've had any luck at the stadium. I don't think we've ever even picked up a... Oh, we, we won there actually the year you went down from the Championship into League One, but previously... Did. Yeah, <laughs> but previously, I, I don't think we'd ever won there. I, I remember going up there on the first day of our second season in the Premiership after we just qualified for Europe and losing 1-0 to a Kevin Phillips penalty right in front of us. But ah, that was probably my worst memory because it, it was a long trip to lose 1-0 to to see that but sort of best wise that, that 5-2 win at home was was really good because that was probably the best football we played in for a half and we just it looked like everything was clicking and it that was when we were we were still on the edge of the playoffs and I was thinking actually Mick Mick might just do this he might just be able to pull a sort of another rabbit out of the hat and get us there with sort of the likes of Martin Waghorn and Joe Garner who we'd signed for next to nothing and sold on for decent fees at the following year but that, that was probably the high point of my watching against Sunderland. I remember that was one of my low points, actually. It was absolutely horrible, that game. Um, obviously, an old an old player coming back to haunt us in Martin Waghorn. Um, Joe Garner, and I, I live up in Glasgow, so I'd watched Joe Garner struggle for months and months at Rangers, and he tore us a new one. And like you mentioned at the Stadium Light as well, I think it was 2-0 before half-time, and I think Joe Garner got another one as well. But... Both sides feel very, very different to the teams that were facing each other in, in those two games the last time we played each other. So I suppose what I would ask at this point, how do you see the game going on Saturday? And I, I mean, with your head and with your heart, possibly. And what's your predictions, just to kind of cover off? Um, I, I don't think it's a game where we're going to come flying out of the traps. We, we don't, I don't, I don't think we seem to have got that, got that in us at the moment, but we've... I, I think it's, it's a game that the town is looking forward to. It's, it seems strange, but the town is infused by this, this League One season. And especially with the result we got last week, that sort of takes any nerves out of play. Because had we, had we lost last week, that would have been a sort of a big worry going into sort of a tough game. But I'd, I'd say draw is probably the most likely thing. But the most likely result, as it is most weeks, it seems, for Sunderland. But... I, I don't know. I, I think we can win this, and, I'd, and I'd, I'd like to think we will win it. So I'll, I'll go with two-one Ipswich. I'm going to go with the obvious. I'm going to say one-one. I think 
we'll score first this time and then we'll duff it up near the end. And I think James Norwood will probably score for us. Uh, I said, well, Greg Hatrick last week and I was completely wrong, but I said that completely with uh, with no faith at all. I'll say Lyndon Gooch will score again, but um, but yeah, we, we need to pick up points, I think. But in, in hind- probably in, in hindsight, a draw away at Ipswich over the, the length of the season will be a good result if I... If you finish where I expect you to finish, but I'm sure there's many Sunderland fans tearing the hair out of me saying that, saying we should be beating everyone, and maybe we should. But I'm looking, I'm looking to a good game. I just don't have good memories of Portman Road, um, but hopefully that can change. <laughs> yeah. So, so how is Jack Ross thought of up there? Because he was the one I wanted for the Ipswich job before Paul Hurst, and I was gutted when he went up there. And I watched Sunderland at the start of last season, and you looked like you're playing some really good stuff in a few games, but then all of a sudden it just seemed to become a very drab season you're you're asking a very good question at probably the, the wrong time um it's i think a lot of people are frustrated with the way last season went um he started quite well seemed to have a good style of play made the right substitutions and then gradually we'd score and just sit back and it was the amount of draws that cost us last season and I think a lot of people, even though it's only been one game, because Saturday had a new lineup. I think there was only two players that played in the playoff final that were in our starting lineup on Saturday, and yet nothing had changed, absolutely nothing. And I think, in in my fit of rage, I commented that I think he's the wrong man, and I'm I'm beginning to think he is. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. And there's a lot of people are beginning to think the same. He's a little bit too negative. So he, it's 50-50. Yeah, I'd like to say, I remember, I think it was a League Cup game you were playing early doors last season. I think you might have even lost it, but especially after I'd watched all the... I'd, I'd got quite invested in Jack Ross coming to us and sort of watching that. I was a bit jealous after seeing how Paul Hurst had started, but I don't know. We'll, we'll never know how it would have gone. Because I'd imagine had, had Jack Ross come to Ipswich, I'd imagine Paul, La- Paul Hurst sorry, would have gone to Sunderland. Potentially, and maybe it would have all worked out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it would have all worked out, but it never does with Sunderland, and it doesn't sound like it ever does with Ipswich at the moment. But no, no, um, seventeen really, years in the Championship, uh, uh, ten years in the Premiership for us, and we we fell through draws. Um, but I appreciate you coming on, Joe. We've had a few technical faults, but we got there in the end, mate. Um, I'm giving I'm giving Saturday a miss because I'm at Accrington in the League Cup during the week. But as I always say to my guests every week, I hope you have a really horrible Saturday, and I hope that really we really ruin uh, the the rest of your Saturday night. But good luck to an extent for the rest of the season because you are our rivals this season for promotion. So I can't wish you too much luck, but no, no. you know I mean it in the nicest way. But thanks for coming on, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a, have a good season after Saturday and yes. a, safe, a safe trip home to all the Sunderland fans that make the long trip down here. Thank you very much, Joe. Cheers. No worries. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.